0: I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this fulfills and sums up the law and the prophets. This morning we are finishing our series on the topic of what it means to be sons and daughters of God. The text that we come to this morning has a very specific focus, and that is this. It is the focus of prayer, and the intention, I believe, of Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture is to encourage in the heart of every child of God's a fervent pattern of persistent prayer. Okay, a fervent pattern of persistent prayer. That is the, the aim of this text. And through it, I believe Jesus desires to encourage us to examine our prayer life to see if our prayer life is characterized by fervency and persistence. So the subject of the text is prayer. And here's the promise that is made in this passage of scripture. I think it becomes very evident as you read verses seven and eight. The promise is this. God answers earnest and persistent prayer. Okay. God answers. He has promised to answer fervent and persistent prayer. And that, I think, is borne out in verses 7 and 8. Number one, every one of these verbs is in the present tense. Ask, seek, and knock. They're in the present tense. They're in the imperative. That is to say, they are directed from God about how we should relate to Him. And then at the end of each of the phrases, you'll find ask, and it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be open. And then verse 8, repeats the same thing over again. So you start to get the idea that Jesus is emphasizing fervency and persistence in prayer with the eye of faith saying that God has pledged to answer our prayers. And it works out through a sense of rising intensity. Ask in relationship to specific needs. Seek God's face. Knock. And when you do, the door will be opened to you. So we ask specific requests, we seek fervently with this rising intensity and attitude of saying, God, I am in need of your help, and we knock persistently, and the promise is that door is going to open. God will make a way. So three questions emerge for me as I read through this text. One is this, is the promise of answer prayer unqualified? Okay, is the promise of answer prayer unqualified, meaning, can I ask for whatever I want? Okay, has God, in a sense, set himself up as a genie who says, you got three wishes. Whatever you want, I'll do for you. Okay, now obviously all of us will respond to that and say, God doesn't come and say, I am here to do for you whatever you want. He still is our Father, according to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. He is our Father in heaven. And as we're praying, what are we saying? Glorify your name. Bring your kingdom here. Do your will in my life. So there is this qualifier that rests upon this question. Is the directive to prayer an unqualified promise that God will do whatever you want Him to do? I think the example of Jesus bears repeating here. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Father, I want this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, what is that? That is a deference to the glory and majesty and sovereignty of God. Nevertheless, not what I will, but do your will. And I believe that prayer is the prayer that God will always answer. Father, do your will. Fulfill your plan and your purposes in my life for your glory. A good test of the desires that we feel are this, is this. Can I pray about this? Okay, that desire, that want that you have in your heart, can you pray about it and say, God, according to your plan and purpose, do this. And if you can, you ought to persistently and fervently seek the face of God with that need. In a very specific way, ask. In a fervent way, seek and knock persistently so that God will open the door and make a way. So I don't believe that the promise is unqualified. I think it is qualified by the acknowledgement that God, you are sovereign over everything in my life. And as I bring this request, only do it if it will serve to advance your cause and your purposes and use me in the process. Second question, who is the promise given to? Okay. Obviously, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And I think as you go through this brief paragraph, I think you start to understand who this is written too. Okay, because the illustration of verses eight and nine deals with sons coming to their father. And then verse 11, he says, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? So the promise concerning prayer is given to everyone who knows God as their father, who has been miraculously born again by the spirit of God and brought into this new relationship where we are encouraged to come before God on a regular basis in our lives to seek His help and His assistance. So the directive is your Father in Heaven. Personal relationship. I think The question that we need to float out there this morning is, do you know Him personally? Do you know Him intimately as your Father in Heaven? And if you do, then seek His face. J.I. Packer says this about this concept of sons and daughters of God in terms of prayer. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being a child of God's and having God as his father. If this thought, okay, if, 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 if it is not th- this thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. What is J.I. Packer saying? J.I. Packer is saying that our relationship to God as father is what drives the nature of the Christian experience. When we come to him, we come knowing that we have a father in heaven who is affectionate and capable. And we are invited to come and to beg of him to meet our needs. So this morning, how much are you making of this thought? We are sons and daughters of God. And to those sons and daughters of God, here's the promise. God will honor persistence in prayer by rewarding that seeking after him. Okay, that is the promise that emerges. Now, I want us to look real quickly then at this last question. Who is the promise from? Okay, so we ask first, is this an unqualified promise? I think the answer is no. It is according to God's will, that which will glorify him. Who is the promise given to? It's given to everyone who has ever come to God and said, oh, God, save. To the person who says, Hosanna to God, save me, rescue me from my sin. To that person, God says, when you cry out, I will hear and I will answer. I think the most crucial question we need to answer, however, is this. Who is making this promise? I want to encourage you this morning to meditate upon this very simple thought. Who is it that makes such a profound promise to us? I will answer earnest, persistent prayer. That's God's promise. What is the God like who makes this promise? Because I believe that the subject of this passage of Scripture is prayer. That's what it's talking about. But I believe that the if you ask me what is the center of this text, what is the, what is the topic of this text, I think that the topic of this text is God himself. You say, if you say to me, Tim, why do you say that? Because there is nothing new revealed in these statements. What we find in terms of prayer, because he's already given us the Lord's Prayer. So what do we find? We find a discussion in this passage of Scripture, subject prayer, topic, God himself. God himself is brought to the center stage. And so I just want to look at it and and identify three characteristics of God that emerge from this interesting discussion and illustration. Verses 9 through 11. After calling us to come and to seek the face of God, promising that prayers will be answered, he says this. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And this is a fascinating statement. Because what he's really giving us is a, a set of contrasts. If a son comes to his father with a serious need, and I think the, the the illustration is based upon an agrarian culture where you lived pretty much from day to day. You were sustenance farmers, and so if a son came to his father and said, "Papa, I am hungry," okay, would the dad give to his son a rock that is in the shape of a small loaf of bread? That's the illustration, and the the, the response is if the son's request is serious and in earnest that response would be absurd it would be totally unexpected second picture if his son asked for a fish would he give him a snake most interpreters are going to say that this picture of a snake is probably the kinds of eels that were found in rivers or in the sea of galilee will he give him something that he is forbidden to eat based upon old testament law Okay, because an animal without scales could not be eaten. So the son says, "Dad, I'm hungry. Could I have some fish?" Would he give him? A, would would he make fun of his vital, life-oriented need? I think the answer in the text becomes so very, very clear that no, that would not happen. So the 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 principle, the first principle, is this: God is kinder than the most well intended human father. And the argument goes something like this in verse eleven. He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those that ask? So here's the here's the characteristic of God that emerges. God is gracious, God is kind in response to the request of his children. He won't belittle us. Parents give good gifts to their children. We give good gifts despite the fact that we are, we're evil. We're, we're naturally self-centered. And yet when our children ask us for something, what happens? Typically our love for our children, our relationship to them as moms and dads overcomes our selfishness and we acknowledge that it is a vital and real need and we respond without any criticism. And God is saying to us, Parents give good gifts, even though they are evil. God, the promise says, is even more ready to give good gifts to those who ask. And as I as I read this, I thought about the kindness of Jesus Christ towards children. Okay, his natural affection, which was not based upon getting political photos. Okay, it wasn't about photo opportunities for Jesus. He just naturally had an inclination to care for children. And in that, he was expressing the heart of God. Isaiah chapter 49 gives us a very, very powerful description of God. And in here it's the illustration of a mom. He says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? And here's what God says. Though she may forget, I will never forget you. I'm sure every mom sitting in this room who has nursed a child or fed a child knows what it is to fall asleep while nursing that child and wake up in panic. Okay? Or has fell asleep in bed with that little one in bed feeding and woken up and felt panic. Look, folks, here's a fascinating thought. That has never happened to your father. In heaven and the mom taking care of her child has no desire to harm her child but she has limitations your father in heaven has no such limitations I remember about I don't know, 19 years ago I can actually remember back that far I remember stopping by the house one day I was going on an errand over towards Phillipsburg I remember stopping by the house and I thought, well, since I'm driving from town over to Phillipsburg and back, I will pick up my daughter, Rebecca, who is my oldest daughter, and I said, "I'll, I'll take her for the ride and spend some time with her. Now, most of you know how my mind is wired. So I'm driving out of town, and I thought pops into my mind, I should stop and get a cup of coffee as I'm going over towards Phillipsburg. And so I get out of the car, go in the store, and I'm in there pouring my cup of coffee. And then all of a sudden, this thought pops in my mind. You know what it was? Where's Rebecca? Okay, in the midst of that busyness and picking her up and then going to get a cup of coffee and I'm going to go do what I'm going to do with her, what happened? The busyness of life and distractions drew me aside and all of a sudden I'm in the store thinking, oh my word. Okay, now, did I desire to do harm to my daughter? No. But even the best intended father or mother is capable of getting caught up in their own things. And forgetting about the needs of their child. Here's what God says. God says, even though a mom could do that, even though a dad could do that, I will never do that. And you know what it says in the next verse? He says this. He says, I have written your name. Where? On the palm of my hands. Folks, that is a glorious truth. He is. Have you ever done that? Where you're trying to remember something when you get home. And so you say, okay, I'm just going to put it right here. Because then my wife's going to say, why did you write that on your hand? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, what God's saying, I have written your name in a place where it is visible in everything that I do, because the hands are the means by which we function. So the thrust is that God is kinder than the most well-intended human mom or dad. He will not belittle. So here's the question I ask you this morning as you contemplate this relationship with God. Are you delighting in God's undeserved and unconditional love? Do you ever sit back and say, even though in the human realm my father has severely disappointed me or mom has severely let me down? As we heard in some testimonies this morning, you have a father in heaven who is not capable of such failures. He has pledged himself to your care. He is kinder than any others. And I realize that this area becomes a struggle for many because it is hard for some of us to think as God as father. I want to say this this morning, mom and dad, sometimes we need to go to our children and say to them, I fear that I may have in some way distorted your understanding of God by weaknesses in my own life, by shortcomings in my own life. And we need to be forthcoming with our children that when you see me like that, that is not what father in heaven is like. He is kinder than the most well-intended father. Are you delighting in his undeserved, unconditional love? Verse 12 is a fascinating statement. And I just, I just want to touch on this and then move on to our last thought. It says, in everything you do. And before that it says, some of your translations, therefore. Okay, in light of God's profound kindness and love for you. In light of that fact. In everything you do. What does he say? Do to others. What you would have them do to you. This fulfills the law and the prophets. So the idea is something like this. The love of God is so powerful and profound. It should be seeping into our lives and literally changing us. And the thought that I that I have in my notes here, I just don't want to go into the detail, is this. God is fairer than any human father. He is just. So I can't harbor disobedience in my life. I can't hide things from Him. His love should do what? It should prompt in us deep affections for others. Do you see? And if we are not demonstrating affections in the grace of God toward others, what does the Lord's Prayer tell us? That model. It says, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, your Father will not what? He won't forgive you. Okay, which leads us into dangerous places because if I regard iniquity in my heart, God won't hear me. Even though he, he understands what I'm saying, but He is not obligated to respond if I am harboring sin in my heart. What is one of the sins that we harbor in our hearts? We harbor the sin of selfishness. And the aim of this last verse is to do what? It is to destroy selfishness because we live before a God who is fair and just. So if I'm harboring sin in my life, what am I doing? I am blocking the the, the channel of benefit and blessing in my life. So keep your heart clean before the Lord, so that when you cry out to Him, you have the blessing and benefit of answers. The last thought I want to deal with is this, verse 11. He says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and this statement, how much more will your Father, where in heaven? Okay, now you get back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer in Chapter Six. You know what it says? When you pray, say something like this: "Our Father, where in heaven?" Okay, now what is that saying? Okay, what is the what is the thrust of this? It is that He is the Father who is over all, above all, and in control of all. Which leads me back to why our prayers. In terms of getting answer, it's not an unqualified promise, but it is, in fact, a promise based on certain conditions. It is a prayer that acknowledges that the Father we serve is stronger than the most capable human Father. He is our Father in heaven. He sits in throne. Listen to these two verses, Psalm 115 and verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does what pleases Him. Okay, and that's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. What does He say? When you pray, say, Father, thy will be done. Okay, he is capable of doing that in your life. So this Psalm 115.3, he's in the heavens. He does what pleases him. Isaiah 40.22 is the verse that really stands out to me. Here's what it says. It says, it is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth. That is your father. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He is stronger than the most capable human father. And when our children are young, they have a kind of faith that is truly amazing, don't they? They really believe that mom and dad can do amazing things. You could... You could trick them into believing certain things. But as your children grow older, what do they begin to realize? They begin to realize that, all right, dad's good, but he's not that good. And mom is awesome, but she's not that awesome. The truth is, we're, we're fickle, okay? We have limited capacities. We have limited strength. We love our kids, but we are limited in our capacity to meet their needs. This text tells us that he sits above the circle of the earth. That is where does your dad live? He, he lives out there. Okay. He's above and beyond and over all and through all and in all. He is capable. He is stronger. And the fascinating thing to me is that he is more compassionate. You think about this, this picture of God being above everything. And I, I probably have shared this with you somewhere along the way. Think about the planet that we live on, that Father in heaven sits above. Think about it for a minute. Okay, while we are sitting here, this planet is spinning, rotating on its axis at the equator at 1,000 miles per hour. Okay, now I'm going to tell you this, that taps me out right, right there. I'm like, I'm beyond what I can comprehend, how something can spin at that speed and not toss things off of it. Okay, is amazing to me. But here's even what's even more fascinating. I dug a little bit deeper into this this week as I thought about this. God who is capable and stronger than the most capable human father. He is our dad. This earth is traveling around the sun at 66. Now listen to this. Thousand miles per hour. Okay. We're traveling through space at 66 1,000 miles per hour while rotating on the axis of the earth at 1,000 miles per hour. All right. And you think you have things to worry about. Okay. Now, listen to this. While the moon orbits the earth, and I have to look at this, at 2,288 miles per hour in perfect harmony. I'm going to tell you this, having studied that this week, I did not wake up any evening this week and worry about how fast we were traveling. You know why? Because it, it's beyond you. It's glorious. The God who did that says to you, "Ask, seek, knock. What do you? I am your father." Now, my sense of humor goes something like this: I'm like, God, if I was you, occasionally I would just give it a bump, I would just just to see what would happen. Okay, just that Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament declares His handiwork. Psalm 8, and this this verse just blows my mind in this context. Psalm 8 and verse 3: When I consider the heavens, the work of Your what? It's not hands. It's not arm. You know what it is? Fingers. And I think the intention of God is to bring it down to what his fingers are capable of. That is the God you serve. What problem do you have that that God can't solve? The most capable human father or mother can be committed and devoted to serving and loving their kids. But we will fall short. Our Father in heaven who sits above the orb, above the sphere, has everything under control. R.A. Torrey said it this way, asking the question, what is the source of prayer's power? Is it it bound up in the more I pray, the more results I will get. If I can kind of wear God down and, and kind of just keep shooting, bombard him, that he'll finally respond. What's the power of prayer? Is it in how much time we spend in prayer? That's a trick question. Okay, but is it the power in the mere words and how many times we say it? Earlier on in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't be like the pagans. They think they will be heard because of their many words. They think they can get God to spring into action and show his power if they wear him down. He is your father in heaven. He does not need to be worn down. He is inclined to love you. He birthed you again by his spirit into his kingdom, cleansed you of your sin, made you his son and daughter in love, and has pledged himself. To take care of you. And in Isaiah 40, he says, I have written you on the palm of my hands. I have put you in a place where you are for me unforgettable. And folks, that truth should transform us. So R.A. Tori asked the question. He says, What is the source of prayer's power? And here's what he said, and I hope you remember this. He said, Prayer can do everything that God can do. And as God can do anything, prayer is. Omnipotence. Prayer can do anything that God can do. So my challenge to you this morning is this. As you think about your privileged status as sons and daughters, come to Him with the spontaneity of a child who is hungry, who has a serious real need. And now my conviction from this text is ask for what you want and expect that your Father in Heaven will give it to you if it is good. That is his promise in this text. You are his sons and you are his daughters. So, the question I close with this morning for each of us is this Do you believe in God's personal and passionate love for you? Do you believe in his personal and passionate love? Do you make much of being his son and daughter? Do you revel in that? Do you rejoice in that? Do you draw near to him because of that? Because the logic of this text goes something like this. If you see God, the topic of this text, in this way, then you will pray to him. You will make much of him being your heavenly father. And you will enjoy the blessings and benefits of prayer. Do you trust him in this kind of way? And the second question I must ask you this morning is this. Have you trusted Him in the most important way? Have you come to see yourself as a sinner who doesn't deserve the affection and power of God in your life, but as a person who deserves the justice of God in your life? Middle of the text, verse 12. I, I don't keep the law and the prophets. And what I deserve is the justice of God. I deserve the judgment of God. I deserve the fairness of God. You know how the fairness of God falls on the heart of every believer? It falls on the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. And He bears away the consequences of our sin. And as we sung earlier, the the, the confession of the believing child of God is this. I have a status with God that allows me to come boldly to the throne of grace because of a Savior, a mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. He stood in my place on the cross, bore the consequence of my sin, and says, whoever will call upon my name will be saved. Folks, you don't need to enumerate many prayers if you don't know Christ. You need to start with this prayer. Hosanna, O God, save. For whoever calls upon His name will be saved. Do you know Him in that way? And if you do, what you will know in your heart by the Spirit is an assurance of His love that will draw you to pray To the one who put all the stars in place. That will draw you to pray to the one who is guiding this planet, flying through space at 66,000 miles an hour, while spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, with the moon orbiting at 2,288 miles an hour. He's got all of that under control. And I guarantee you, knowing that most of you aren't going to go home tonight, or today, and say, you know what, Pastor? I couldn't sleep last night. You should have never told me that. Okay? Because I'm going to tell you something. In your heart, you know what you have? You have this, if you're a child of God, you you have a natural tendency, desire to trust him. And if you trust him with that, do you see? If you ask him for bread, is he going to give you a stone? Is he going to taunt you? Is he unpredictable and fickle? Is he moody? No, James James 17 says every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. What does that mean? He's the Father who put everything in place in the universe. And that God is not fickle. He's not easily bothered. He's not temperamental. As many of us human moms and dads are. And we give our kids a distracted, distorted picture. Your Father is not like that. Your Father in heaven loves you. And is committed. To answering your prayer. Just when you get up tomorrow morning, when you go to bed tonight, when you sit down to pray at dinner, don't utter the words, our Heavenly Father, as if it was just a routine. I find myself doing that like, what are you thinking? Stop and think about it. When we say our Heavenly Father, what? He's the God over. He sits above. He literally is there. He is the Father of lights. There is no variation. He he's not preoccupied. He is not busy. He is ready to respond to the persistent, fervent prayer of the righteous. It, James 5.17, accomplishes much. Do you believe that? Does your prayer life say, I am desperately connected to God? I am resting in His power. Next time you stop to pray, Dad. At dinner with your kids? Don't just utter it as if it is routine. Mom, when you sit on the edge of your child's bed or dad, to pray with them, make much of God's name. Exalt Him. Look at what He's done. Get Him to look out the window and look at what God has done. That's who we're praying to. That God, glorious Creator, has pledged Himself through the blood of His Son to love you and to enjoy you. Forever. Trophies of His grace. Our Father in heaven. Father, as we conclude this morning, I pray that we...